Welcome to the Professional Website Investor Podcast, the show where we talk about what it takes to successfully buy, operate, scale, and sell a thriving e-commerce business. When it comes to doing business online, we believe that buying an existing website is far superior to building one from scratch. So if you're a career professional who's looking to become an e-commerce store owner, listening to this show will give you the knowledge, tools, and community support you need to be successful. I'm your host, Ryan Cowden. And this week, we're joined by Ian Bond from ProfessionalWebsiteInvestors.com. In this episode of the Professional Website Investor Podcast, Ian and I discuss a common framework you can use to elevate your online business models. When you decide to get into e-commerce website investing and start searching for websites, you'll notice that there are not only different industries to invest in, but also different business models. You might be aware of some of these different models already, such as high-ticket dropshipping, fulfilled by Amazon, software as a service, and others. In addition to understanding a certain niche in the market, you also need to understand the business model of the website you are investing in. Today we share some key factors to consider as you look at different online business models. Factors like resale value, the number of available websites, and dollar margins will all affect the amount of time you put in and the financial decisions you will have to make. Having an evaluative framework in place will make the sorting process much easier. On this episode, you'll hear Ian Bond's evaluative framework, a pyramid of factors, and his description of each level of the pyramid. The first factor at the base of the pyramid is the number of sites available. You can't buy something that doesn't exist, so the more choices you have, the better off you'll be. The second factor is the special knowledge requirement. Some business models require a lot of content-specific knowledge that will impact your ability to effectively operate and meet your customers' needs. The third factor is required customer support. Some models have high levels of customer support, and some have relatively low levels. The fourth factor, the middle of the pyramid, is ease of scalability. On one extreme, some models are easy to scale through outsourcing, while other models require you to scale it up on your own. Make sure you know how to scale your business before you invest in it. The fifth factor is dollar margins. Some models make small margins on lots of transactions, while other models make high margins on fewer transactions, which all affects how you market and operate your business. The sixth factor is the traffic needed. High traffic sites tend to produce lower dollar margins, while lower traffic sites tend to produce higher margins. Again, this factor will determine how you spend your time and the amount of customers that you'll need. And the seventh factor, sitting atop the pyramid, is resale value. Some websites focus on single products and chase trends, leading to a lower resale value, while others focus on long-term business interests and have the potential for higher resale value. If you're looking for an evaluative framework to inform your e-commerce investment decisions, this is one episode you won't want to miss. There's a lot of actionable advice in this episode, so grab something to write with because you're going to want to take notes. As always, I'll be back on the other side to wrap up any loose ends. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Ian Bond. All right, Ian, welcome back to the show. It's great to see you. Welcome back. Ryan, Ryan, it's great to be back. We've got an exciting lineup today. Yeah, we do. Most people might imagine we're going to talk about, we're going to have more than one recording episode. And today it's particularly a, um, uh, you know, particularly timely because we're going to talk about things that are very linked together. So I'm excited. Yeah, me too. So, so we're talking about some, some research that you've been doing about these online mis- business models and, and kind of helping people synthesize all the different models that are out there and, and evaluate them. Um, and I kind of want to just start with you. What what prompted you to do 
this analysis and this research, um, synthesizing. You know, Ryan. It, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's very interesting, and I was thinking about this. And last week, I was actually invited to a very small get together in my day job, and the speaker was Ray Dalio, who is you know, a legendary investor and the founder of Bridgewater Associates. And Ray talked about his over 40 years investing, wrote a book called Principles. And he has a framework on how he looks at investing. And he actually has written down why he made investments at certain time based on these principles. And he's honed the principles over time. Okay. And I can't tell you that this is Ray Dalio-esque, um, but you know my journey in the e-commerce world started about five years ago. And over time, I have, uh, I think, tried to put a framework around, about, around how I think of things. Now, certainly, you know, what we're going to talk about today is not uh, you know, all-inclusive. And so, um, but I think it does tease out you know, uh, things that are important and also highlights areas where, you know, things are more obvious that, you know, you also have to think about. So this, let's just call this, you know, principles one for me. And, and, okay. uh, you know, I want to, I want to give at least people, you know, kind of a perspective of, of, um, you know, you know, early on in the first, you know, the last five years in the first year and a half, I wasn't an investor. And now, you know, we've purchased over a dozen sites in the last three and a half years. And these are things that, that, that you know, I've worked through and iterated through that time period. Okay, great. So, so today on today's episode, I think it's fair to say that we're not evaluating the specific business models in this episode. What we're going to be evaluating right. are the different factors that you used Right. That's, that's so we so so Ryan, we've created an infographic where you can go to professional website investors.com and the infographic has a pyramid and on the pyramid there are uh, a uh, a number of the fact the factors we're going to discuss which are the drivers of the decision making process for selecting an online business model. This comes from my perspective as a, a career executive, a career professional corporate executive. And, you know, at the time of my first purchase, 58 years old. So that's, that's my bias. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone who brings a different background, different skill set can certainly feel free to disagree and is right to disagree. Yeah. This is a thought starter, but you can go and download the, uh, the infographic and uh, use it. Uh, and uh, some of the other comments we'll make that where we'll tease out some other other factors that aren't on the infographic, mm-hmm. um, you know, will, will also be things you consider. Then, in addition to the the the, uh, the framework, then there are uh, six business models that we actually go through and rank, which will be the subject of our next podcast. Okay, great. So I thought we'd start at the bottom of the pyramid and, and, and work our way up. So the, okay. the base foundation level of the pyramid is number of websites available to buy. So yeah, it may, yeah. It may sound obvious, but you uh, uh, website investing is uh, you know a bit of a a, a, a continuum. Uh, people think of it as a bit of a continuum continuum, but you actually have to you actually have discrete choices, and so. Um, 
you know, on the one hand, you can't buy things that don't exist. So if you're looking for a needle in a haystack, you're never going to get in the game. On the other, the other, I think, you know, kind of relevant uh, point that I would make about this is I think most people kind of get this backwards. They become enamored with a, a, um, you know, a, uh, a type of website, but they don't actually understand the problem that they're solving or maybe what it takes to, to, uh, actually execute that business model. Hmm. And, and so I think you have to really start at what problem you're solving and how you go about solving that, uh, in order to, to, you know, really be looking at appropriate business sites. And I'll just throw out an example. Yeah. Early on, I was very enamored with content sites. You know, they work while you sleep and they're intellectually very appealing. But I realized after meeting people that were really SEO ninjas, that search engine optimization ninjas, that I just didn't have that passion. I wasn't going to sit around and, and look at keyword strategies or look at PBN strategies. And it's not in my nature. And when I met people that did that for a living, um, it, 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 it validated it. And I was glad I really didn't go down that right. So two things. You can't buy things that don't exist. And secondly, think about the problem and what it's going to take to solve it, uh, um, you know, before you actually, you know, go too far, spend too much time looking at the, at, at any specific business model. Okay, great. So, so when you're looking at these business models, are you saying that it's, it's good to get into a model where the quantity of sites available is high? Is that kind of what you're saying? Well, yeah, there's no question that, you know, the more choices that you have, the better off you have, you, the better off you'll be. Okay. And the top several business models will give you plenty of choices. Okay. So, um, it was, it's more of a, you know, uh, like I say, a word of caution, especially for the beginner, understand that, that, um, you know, I, I, I've written about and I've mentioned on this podcast, uh, how I think of things in, uh, kind of from a corporate strategy standpoint, it, uh, you know, in the terms of an activity chain. And it's those activities that drive value. And it's those activities that you'll need to do to succeed. Yeah. And so the, the activities are going to drive how you succeed, but it's also going to be what you're required to do. So if you don't like doing those things, you know, you shouldn't try to opt into a business model where you're either not interested or, or, or really don't like it. Right. Right. Okay. So the second level of the pyramid is special knowledge required. And are you looking at that in referring to the, the business model itself or the, the product on the website? What do you mean by special knowledge? Uh, I think of this and I, you know, I'll go back to the, the, uh, the SEO example. That's one area where your, you know, content sites can require SEO knowledge. A SaaS sites going to require some technology knowledge. Um, if you were to buy a service business, you would clearly have to be deeply immersed in whatever the service is that you're going to be delivering. And, and so, um, you know, my greatest fear, and I've mentioned this before, is that at age 58, uh, I was very, very concerned that I didn't have the tech knowledge. And, uh, you know, I quickly disabused myself of that uh, by, by looking at what the tech platforms are in, with physical goods e-commerce, specifically uh, dropshipping. Okay. And, you know, I was able to get, to get over that. But when you, you know, you know, 
it's it's pretty obvious that you know if you're going to need technical knowledge, you're going to have to you're going to have to either be able to do it yourself, or you're going to have to be able to hire it out effectively, and that's a pretty delicate balance. Okay, okay. Um, so the next level up would be the required level of customer support, and um, yes. what what can you tell if you look at a business model? There are some that require more than others. Is that something you can tell just by knowing the business model itself? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, one of my, uh, you know, early fears was tackling customer support. I mean, who wants to deal with irate customers? Uh, I mean, right. no one, right? right. And, and, and uh, you know, but being in a service business in my day job, you know, um, really websites only exist to, you know, provide people with valuable uh, information upon which they can take an action and receive some kind of a benefit or an outcome. And there, for people that are willing to wade into customer service, you know, we think uh, that we found it to be something that is really a strong suit for us. And so, I think a lot of people shy away from um, uh, uh, you know, customer service because it's something they just don't want to deal with. They leave a fair amount of margin on the table um, when it's actually something that's solvable. Now, there are a couple of extremes. One extreme would be to be selling something on the Amazon platform where they take care of everything um, or an automated, let's say, an info product strategy where you click on a link and it's immediately delivered to you. And then on the other end of the extreme, which I think is probably underappreciated by people, is um, software as a service has a, an incredibly high requirement for knowledgeable, tech-savvy, knowledgeable customer support. A lot of software as a service businesses require you know, a Zendesk approach where you open up a support ticket and somebody has to literally help somebody access a sophisticated product. So you know, we believe that uh, high-ticket dropshipping is something where um, uh, customer service is uh, very easily implementable using standard operating procedures, processes, uh, software, and I would probably put that kind of in the in the middle of the customer service uh, range in terms of difficulty. And on the one end, the high end would be something that required an enormous amount of technical knowledge by your customer service people, and on the other end, you know, almost zero. Which would be where you 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 know you let uh, you, it's either automated or you know you know Amazon does it for you. Okay, okay. So out of seven levels, we're at the fourth level. So this is dead in the middle of the pyramid, and uh, that row is called ease of scalability. So um, obviously, we're looking for a business that will scale easily and quickly. Um, what did you What did you think about this? Why is this? Why is scalability kind of right in the middle of your pyramid? Uh, you know, I think of this, um, and, and you know, I have mixed feelings um, because I don't want to, you know, make judgments for other people. Okay. Because I think, in some ways, some people are looking for something that they want to be intimately involved in, and it's an excellent strategy if you're of, of the mind that you want to buy a job. Okay, mm-hmm. and. You can, you can, you know, you can run a website by yourself if that's what you, you know, that's what you so desire. 
Um, it was not my desire to do that. It was not our desire to do that. We were looking to be able to to um, scale the business, and you know, we think that that you know, tackling difficult problems and handling those problems very elegantly is a way that we can add value and we can garner you know more profitability than people that are unwilling to do that. Mm-hmm. The people that are unwilling to do that farm things out to Amazon and they don't tackle it themselves and uh, or they solve it by making it an automated process, which is you know kind of the holy grail if that's possible. Now in some business models, making it entirely um, uh, automated is not really an option. So the question is, is this a, is this something that this is tough? And if you want to solve it, you know, we think it's very solvable. And I think, um, you know, for a career professional, someone who's worked in a, a team environment or led a team um, and, and you know, uh, been involved with uh, colleagues and uh, people that are down a couple of levels in the organization, I think this is right up their alley to be able to solve. And so, yeah. you know. I think it's something that that is um, for, at least I think for the for the demographic that's listening to this, don't look past this. Uh, you can find you can you can add a lot of value um, in a web based business by tackling this problem. Okay, so this so this is really interesting. So so the the last three levels that we talked about: special knowledge, customer sc- support, and scalability. All three of those are kind of referring to. How much time do you want to spend on this website, basically? Right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So now we're in the kind of the top third of the pyramid, and uh, we get into this issue. <laughs> we, get into, we, get in, we get into the money rounds. Yeah, okay? that's right. Yeah. So um, what are there any dollar margins that you're thinking people should be looking for or avoiding? Is that, is that kind of the question we're asking here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You avoid you avoid low dollar margins, and you go to high dollar margins. You know, the question is, you know, how much do you want to uh, uh, be able to earn? You know, for uh, you know, on you know, on a transaction. Yeah. And there's a couple of reasons to look at this. Number one, I think it's an excellent uh, gauge of the value that you're bringing to the transaction. So something that's a low margin is much more of a commodity by almost by definition than something that has a high dollar margin. Okay. From a practical standpoint, Ryan, and you know, I didn't appreciate this and it cost me dearly early in my career is that you actually pay Google dollars and not percentages, okay? Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> you know, if you don't earn high dollar margins and you earn high percentage margins, Google's still going to charge you dollars. Okay. So in order to afford, you know, uh, paid traffic, and there are, really, there are only two sources of tra- uh, traffic, you know, there's organic and there's paid. In order to afford it, you've got to have decent dollar margins unless you're going to go to a, a platform that, um, that drives an abundance of traffic, and that has its own risks also. So okay. dollar margins, I think... Um, I think that they demonstrate the amount of value that you're bringing to a transaction, and we're highly addicted to thinking about the world in, in from that lens. Okay. So then, above that level is the amount of traffic needed. You were just mentioning traffic. Um, yeah. So it's natural. yeah. So are dollar margins connected to traffic? Are there 
high traffic, well, low traffic. Yeah, you know, yeah. It, it, you know, it's very interesting. You know, um, uh, you know, a model like uh, an AdSense model requires an enormous amount of traffic and has very low margins per click. Uh, you use search engine optimization. You don't have the ability to use uh, uh, paid traffic. And when you get to a website, the, what they're trying to do is get you to click on a, a Google placed ad. And so that's kind of on one end of the spectrum, uh, a, a strategy that's reliable, rely, relies you know, solely on SEO. Yeah. So when I think of traffic, Ryan, I want to have every weapon available yeah. that I can. And with high dollar margins, I can afford paid traffic. With a strategy that's focused on driving high amount of value, almost by definition, I'm going to be selling a smaller amount, a uh, smaller number of things that have those high dollar margins, which is going to allow me to focus my SEO on that offer. And okay. so there are business models, which we'll talk about in the next episode, yeah. where that's clearly, you know, relevant, but you know, you want to be able to uh, uh, afford traffic uh, and be able to generate traffic as efficiently as possible. So just to go back to the original example, AdSense requires an enormous amount of uh, traffic and the clicks pay, you know, horribly small amounts. Whereas I know people in the high ticket dropshipping world that live quite a nice life with only 150 to 200 visitors per day coming to their websites. Okay. Big margins. Yeah, right. All right. So we've made it to the top of the pyramid and uh, we're looking at resale value. So is this, is this a common practice that people, they buy websites and then are, they, are people always looking to resell the website or not always? Well, the, you know, I think that, you know, one of the things that when you get initially lost on the internet there are a lot of strategies that are that are touted that generate income, but they are not really business. And so what I tried to capture in this for people yeah. was the notion that that unless you have a business, you don't have resale value. And I'll give you just a couple of, of um, you know, kind of uh, you know, off the top of my mind examples of this. You know, one, you know, are the people that have uh Amazon wholesale businesses. And this is where you go out and, and seek to list, um, uh, you know, on Amazon, someone else's products competing against other people that are listing it. And at any given day, you know, that supplier can say, look, we're taking it in house or we're going to eliminate everybody except, uh, you know, we're going to eliminate everybody except Joe and he's going to be our guy. It's really not a business. Uh, those 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 accounts open and close too quickly. That no one will pay for those businesses. Another one are you know we see these all the time on our in our Facebook news feeds, right? These are one product, generally cheaper Chinese source goods that are hot at the time. This is the classic fidget spinner, where it's a one product yeah. Facebook opportunity. And that's just not a business. And, you know, while I'm thinking about it, you know, I met an incredibly good, uh, good guy um, who was at the uh, uh, last Empire Flippers retreat. And when I asked him what he does, what he did, and he said, well, I'm really not a, 
a, a business owner like you guys, I drive uh, uh, a traffic to affiliate offers, but it's incredibly idiosyncratic. Uh, no one else can replicate what I do. And I'm here to learn about the businesses that are out there because I want to buy a business. And so, you know, there are people that have innate ability to do something like that, but they can't sell it because it's too idiosyncratic. Yeah. And so the idea of resale value is if you're going to spend your time, you want to build something and have it be able to, you know, garner you some terminal value. And so, okay. you know, don't, don't be, you know, blinded, uh, by the fact that you can make money. Um, you know, if you're not going to uh, build value over a longer period of time. Okay, great. So as we kind of wrap up and as we just kind of look across this whole pyramid, when, when people go to the link, when they look at this graphic, um, what's kind of the main question that people should have in mind as they, as they kind of move through the pyramid and, and think about how this is going to help them in their investment? Well, I'll steal from the Ray Dalio uh, uh, conversation of the other day, which was a couple of hours long, and we've only taken probably 20 minutes to yeah. talk about this. Uh -huh. But everything that we mentioned, you know, kind of begs another layer of question. And so, you know, this is just a, a primer. And, you know, as we get into our next session, where we're going to talk about specific business models, you can see that, you know, Every, every uh, you know, kind of uh, one of these pieces of the framework will, will, will then highlight, you know, another, you know, another topic or two that you're going to have to cover to get comfortable. So this is, you know, this is a beginning framework. Um, it's something clearly I wish I would have had a structure around when I first started looking. So I hope people find it to be helpful. Okay, great. Well, Ian, this was really informative and really helpful. And um, can't wait for next time. We're actually going to dive into some some actual business models using this pyramid. So, um, Well, yeah, thanks, Ryan. Yeah. I, I hope people will go to the website and yeah. I would, uh, I would uh, please solicit any feedback anyone has that says, you know, you're all wet. You didn't think about this or what about that? I'd, I'd love to come back to you in six months and say we've gotten an enormous amount of feedback and I want to change my mind. Okay. So, you know, yeah. we spent, you know, sometimes you spend a lot of time in your own head on this and yeah. maybe I've forgotten what I, what I hadn't considered, or maybe mm. someone has a different opinion. So right. look forward to getting the feedback. All right. Great. Well, we'll see you next weekend. Thanks. Thank, thank you, Ryan. All right. Bye. All right, folks, there you have it. That wraps up my conversation with Ian Bond of Professional Website Investors. He shared a ton of valuable insights and advice today on seven ways to evaluate online businesses. We also shared some tools and resources, which will all be linked up in the show notes at professionalwebsiteinvestors.com. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Please consider subscribing, sharing with a friend, or leaving us a review in your favorite podcast directory. Until next time, best of luck in all that you do, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Professional Website Investor Podcast.